0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And let's pray together. Lord God, we do ask with the Word of God open before us and the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit that you now would speak to us in ways that uh, cannot be explained humanistically. It can only be explained by your voice, your spirit, your word, speaking and working into our lives. To that end, we praise you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul has laid out a choice to the believers in Corinth. and The choice is between a cruciform Christianity and a cultural Christianity. I think we here in the South know something about cultural Christianity, about a kind of nominal Christianity that is principally a name only. Paul saw the danger of these Corinthian believers adding Jesus onto their cultural profile, their own sense of self-sufficiency, their own uh, success within their culture the sense of materialism and spiritism guiding them, but they have Jesus. And two different kind of uh, divisions growing up in the church between those who seriously took Christ in the gospel and those who were open and uh, enjoyed it, participated in it, but were not all that serious about it. So Paul poses a question to them, and he says, now, it's not really a question. He says, this is how you ought to regard us. And he outlines how you ought to see the pastors, the proclaimers, the missionaries, the apostles of the kingdom of God. He said, this is how you should see us. You should see us as slaves of Christ. As galley slaves. Working below deck as well as you should see us as stewards of the mysteries of God, of the revelation of God. Servants, slaves, and stewards of the mysteries. He uses the word mystery not because it's ethereal or vague or mysterious. It's because the source of this truth comes from God, not from Paul, not from any intellectual uh, ramifications, or genius, or speculation, or self-discovery, it comes from God. Paul cannot lay claim to any kind of originality or innovation. It is that God has spoken, and Paul is submissive to that in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and then proceeded to apply the cross in every issue addressed in the letter to Corinthians. There is a passage in the Gospels in Luke chapter 12 in which Jesus uses this language of a steward steward in the household, and the responsibility of the faithful steward was to give the servants food at the right time. As simple as that, feeding the staff. The faithless servant, which Jesus goes on to describe in Luke 12, is the one who withholds the food and instead beats up on the servants, the staff. In a way, That's exactly what Paul uses here, and I think is echoing the gospel account of the stewards of the faithful and faithless uh, servants, that Paul is actually identifying with the task of the steward to feed the people of God. I think it's refreshing to know, and Robert Capon picks up on this in his treatment of that parable, that... After all the years the church has suffered under forceful preachers and winning orators, under compelling pulpiteers, and clerical big mouths with egos to match, how nice to hear that Jesus expects preachers in their congregations to be nothing more than faithful household cooks. Not gourmet chefs, not banquet managers, Not caterers to thousands, just gospel pot rattlers who can turn a decent, nourishing meal once a week. And not even a whole meal, perhaps, only the right food at the right time. The preacher has only to deliver food, not flash. Gospel, not uplift. And the preacher's congregational family doesn't even have to like it. If it's good food at the right time, they can bellyache all they want as long as they get enough death and resurrection. Someday they may even realize they've been well-fed. Paul was really clear on his responsibility, and, and don't you wish that everyone that was in the role of pastor, preacher, proclaimer of the gospel, missionary, servant of the cross, would have this attitude? I'm a slave. To Christ, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Now, Matt did an interesting thing last week because at that point in the sermon, he made us all part of that responsibility of stewards of the mystery of the kingdom of God. And I believe in that strongly, that while your responsibility may not be to stand up here before Uh, others and and preach, per se. It's still our responsibility to fulfill the trust of the gospel in every sphere of life, in every relationship and responsibility that we've received. So whether as parent or friend, brother or sister in Christ, we're stewards of the mystery of God. That's our responsibility. Early on in in my ministry in Bloomington, Indiana, a university-oriented church, a couple blocks from IU, we had two services in the morning and probably about 300 people in each service, many students, hundreds of students on a particular Lord's Day, um, as well as hundreds of town people. Two services in the morning and then a second service at night a different sermon, a different service. 46 weeks a year, that was my schedule, and a week that was filled with meeting people, especially students. Well, one night at a board meeting, a man by the name of Don Wagner, he's in heaven now, took me to task that I wasn't using my time wisely that I was spending time with the wrong people, not the right people. Don was a unique character. He drove a yellow Cadillac with the license plate his on it, and his wife drove a yellow Cadillac with a license plate hers on it. Don was an authority figure. He was a building inspector in town, and he's the only building inspector that I've ever experienced who wore a badge and a gun to a board meeting at church. Well, what Don wanted for me that night was a log of every hour, seven days a week, 24-7, to show how I was using my time. Three young kids already felt overworked, could not understand how I could press more work into a week, and I felt really humiliated. And no one else on the board spoke up and said, what Doug's doing is so obvious. He's got two unique sermons. Sunday's just all flat-out work. But Don was particularly concerned that I wouldn't show up at his Monday morning Bible study, hardly understanding how brain-dead I was Monday morning. Well, I knew that anything I'd say would be defensive. And so I just tried to end the meeting as quickly as possible. It was around 11 p.m., went out to my car, and I was so frustrated and angry, I punched my steering wheel, and the horn stuck. <laughs> and I fumbled around in the fuse box trying to unhook something, but I didn't want to unhook just anything and not be able to drive home. So I drove home with the horn blaring <laughs> All the way home, 15 minutes, drove into my, and I just wanted to get in the garage and close the door. But that only echoed the horn, and my physician friend neighbor was putting his clothes on, running over to the Webster's to see what was wrong. I wish I had this passage. I wish I had this passage in my mind. I was, I guess, too young a pastor to know it was there. To be able to say to Don that night, Don, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. And I don't care. You can't judge me. Because Paul goes on to explain, I'm not accountable to you. It's It's not your job to put a job performance out for me. I'm accountable to God. Now, that may at first sound arrogant to you, that Paul would say that, but in the context, I don't think it's arrogant at all. Paul was saying that he has a trust to fulfill, and he will fulfill that trust before God. He's not claiming innocence. He's claiming that his accountability is for the Lord and not the Corinthian standard of what success or strategy ought to be. And he goes on to say that uh, in this passage that the controlling concern for him is that you not go beyond what is written. And it's interesting because there's five or six Old Testament references that Paul quotes in his letter to the Corinthians up to this point, and they all have to do with the same thing. Don't trust in human self-sufficiency. Trust in God. It's not a matter of humanistic achievement. It's a matter of God's grace. In each one of those passages, you know, don't boast about your intellect, don't boast about your wisdom, don't boast about your wealth, boast about the fact that you know me. And in each one of those instances, he's proving, do not go beyond what is written. The word of God is the governor. The word of God is the limit. One day, a group of Nordstrom executives, this is from a leadership book. I hope, maybe it's apocrypha, but it works right here. A group of Nordstrom executives invited a group of J.C. Penney executives to lunch at the Nordstrom's headquarters. And they were sitting around having lunch together and one of the J.C. Penny executives said, how is it that you're so successful? And the Nordstrom executive got up, walked to the adjacent room, brought back a huge volume of a book, opened it and said, we just follow this. And it was the J.C. Penny original manual of how to run a store. Well, I don't think we'll ever, we can't, we will not improve on God's word and the guidance to us on how to be the church, how to proclaim the gospel, how to live the Christian life. But then Paul turns really sarcastic. And it's hard. Uh, you know, I'm not, I have no intention of being sarcastic with you, okay? But Paul here is really communicating like a parent. It's that intense. It's that concern. Those of you who are parents, you know the feeling, the feeling of concern for a child. And that intensity and that concern comes out in Paul when he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. You're like a king. and You're like kings. And then he tells a parable of the Roman military processional. And he says, you're in charge, you're reigning, you've got it made, but we, the communicators of God's word, the proclaimers of the gospel, the missionaries, the pastors, the ambassadors of Christ, it's like we're coming at the end of the processional. We're the garbage. We're the riffraff. We're the disposable people at the end. now Why is he saying this? I think he's saying it this way. And he's saying it dramatically. He's saying it emphatically. He's saying there are not two levels of the Christian life. There's not the pastor level and the people level. There's not a clergy-laity divide here. There's not one standard for me as an apostle and another standard for you, a believer. No, there's one Christian life, a life that's marked by the cross. Really, cultural Christianity is impossible. Simply admiring Jesus is impossible. One is living a cruciform Christian life. One is a follower of Jesus Christ, And Paul, in a sense, is mocking them into seeing that. And in so doing, I think the Spirit speaks to us all. And emphatically, Paul is saying, we're fools. You're wise. We're weak. You're strong. We are dishonored. You are honored. We're hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we've been brutally treated, we're homeless, we work hard with our own hands, when we're cursed, we bless. He's looking for partners in the gospel. People marked by the cross the same way he's marked I believe so strongly in this. I mean, this touches on what I teach. I'm very concerned about training pastors who really can preach and proclaim the Word of God and who are managers of the stewards of the mysteries of God. But at the same time, I don't want my students in any way feeling that they're an elite group within the church. And I want us to understand that there's a holy vocational calling for each and every one of us in what we do. That we're all ambassadors for Christ. We're all missionaries for the kingdom. There's not a holy standard for clergy and a different standard for the rest of us. So we all press on to take charge, to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us, all of us. We all can say, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We all say that. And then Paul turns parental, he turns pastoral, he's, he's done with the sarcasm, and then he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, But to warn you, as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians, you could only have one father. So we have to understand this whole context in the light of his own intimate, intense feeling for these believers. He says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out How these arrogant people are talking. And then this line, I think, is so, and I'll close with this For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I felt I had a more balanced life when I was a pastor and had three little kids running around and was my days were filled with sort of the tension between people and my work so I hear this line really seriously I don't want talking head Christianity I don't want to be all talk all books all writing I don't want it just a matter of talk but a power. In talking to a brother this morning, Shannon Ritchie, in October it became obvious that his sister, diagnosed with terminal cancer, needed a place to come and survive for her last few months. She came from the Atlanta area and they opened their home to an intense involvement, October, November, December, January, February, and she died this past week. But Shannon and Sharon Ritchie devoted themselves to Shannon's sister. And in talking with Shannon this morning, he said, you know, when this first started coming down, I really was complaining to myself about the burden of it all and how this was changing our life and he said I had a conversation with myself and I came to the realization the Lord wanted us to do this and the Lord wanted us to care for Debbie and he said then the complaining stopped the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power a conversation with Frank Dillman this past week. Frank is a colleague, a highly respected New Testament scholar at Beeson, and his grandson Isaiah has been diagnosed with a, a very difficult form of cancer, the tumor growing on the neck, near the spine. Uh, Isaiah's is five months, six months, undergoing really intense chemotherapy and radiation, And we're talking about it, and uh, Frank is expressing how his son, Jonathan, and his wife, Emily, are both really resting and trusting in the Lord. And then he said to me, he said, it's good for us who spend so much time talking and preaching and teaching the Word of God for our faith to be tested. And I left that office thinking, wow, What a testimony of of looking at this, uh, the reality of it all and understanding that it's good. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We, sisters and brothers in Christ, are slaves of Christ, stewards of the mystery of God, accountable in eternity and now to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And... We desire not to be talking head Christians, but Christians who understand something of the power of the gospel of grace, transforming lives because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what we now celebrate. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.